Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host, Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined as ever by my co-hosts, Maddie to Mere Church House and Nathan to you, Thomas. <laughs> Without further ado, let's engage. <laughs> I thought about that, uh, and I, as soon as we finished recording last week's episode, I no. wanted to do a Chuckle Brothers joke, so I've been sitting on that for a week. Do me, do you, do me. <laughs> Did you guys used to play that little game, like that that game online, where you were Barry and Paul Chuckle carrying a really tall ladder, and you had to like you know, use the, the keys on your mouse pad to, like, move them around obstacles so the ladder didn't get, like, stuck in doorways. No. I played a lot no. of other stupid BBC <laughs> games like that, but, like, I didn't play that one. That one I've never played classic. that. It sounds great. I played, I, a lot of, I played a lot of Smile games with Nev. Um, yes, I did that yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. I remember Smile. It was a children's TV show in, like, 2004. Yeah. Um, oh. Oh, 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 well. I've got um, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, Smile was great! Oh. Smile was great. It was hosted by... Uh, Barney. And, ba- and Barney. And uh, a few other... <gasps> yeah, one... Barney? Oh my God, I was in love with Barney. He was the best. What is Barney doing these days? Barney, if you're single, chat me up. Hit hit me in the DMs. Seriously, yeah, we, I'm, we should I'm serious. Po- we, should, we should point out for our American listeners that we're not talking about Barney the dinosaur here. <laughs> No. Maddie doesn't have a weird sexual fetish about Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> he did prank control. He did some Blue Peter for a bit. How how yeah. old? Barney's probably like 50 now. Like, I probably shouldn't He's be. He's 42. 42? Still in range. Oh, um. He's in range. He's in range. <laughs> Barney, slide into my DMs. Was... I've loved you from afar since I was seven, he, he... Barney. He was on Blue Peter until 2017, and then his last appearance was Celebrity Master Chef. <laughs> and then and then he was a guest presenter for the for the educational content that they put out. Um, he played Dick Whittington in a pantomime. Um, uh, so his career's going great. Uh, yeah, he was he was Aladdin and then he was the Huntsman in Snow. Yeah, so he's done a lot of panto and, and random theatre. As one does um, when one is a sort of C-list actor slash reality TV star. Panto is the way to go. That's true, yeah. to be fair. I've done panto and it's mint. Panto's sick. You know, like, I... other countries don't have pantos. Like, I don't, yeah. when I say other countries, like, Australia and America don't have pantos. What? Get, get on it, Australia and America. Go and... Watch a pantomime at Christmas with your kids. I know. Alex said he finds it really strange. Like, so I took him to a panto and he was like, why do the audience know what to say? They're all shouting at the actors and and it's it's allowed. (laughs) It's encouraged. And they all have like, what's going on? They're like, they know what to say at every different point. I am (laughs) desperate to find a, an excuse to take Anna to a pantomime because she vaguely, she's been in Britain long enough to vaguely know what they are. But I'm still like, she's like, oh yeah, no, I know what they are. And I'm like, you don't know. You don't really know what <laughs> they Until are. Until you see the pantomime dame with two Bakewell tarts sewn onto her tits, like, and a load of banoffee <laughs> pie, like, flopping off her hair. You've not seen a panto. 
Um, we should, speaking of Americans, um, we should talk about Star Trek. Uh, yeah. We've we, we're we're doing an exciting episode this week um, because uh, recently we did an episode on uh, the brand new series Star Trek Prodigy because we were the first people in the UK to see it. Um, and this week we are looking at another thing that people in the UK aren't allowed to watch properly yet unless uh, you are free at particular times on a weekend, as if it's the 90s. Um, or, or want to give give Amazon some money. Yeah, if give you want your to... precious dollars to the evil Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah exactly. the distribution of um, Discovery Season 4 is still shit, and you still pulled a shitty move, Paramount. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that is what we're looking at, Discovery Season 4. We're looking at Episode 1 of, of Star Trek Discovery Season 4. It's called Kobayashi Maru. Woohoo! Um, and I will and... neither confirm nor deny that I pirated it from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we uh, we'll, we'll move straight on then, and we'll talk about it. Nathan, do you want to explain the plot of Kobayashi Maru for us? Oh yeah. So after a plot recap, um, which aren't as good as mine, we open uh, with <laughs> Discovery. I, I did an entire one of season three. They just did like clippings that really were difficult to understand um, out of context. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's true. You should go uh, and listen to our season three episode uh, yeah. before you listen before you watch this series. Um, but uh, we open with Discovery spore dry uh, spore jumping to a very strange planet. Um, they are the first visitors to these butterfly like aliens since the burn. Captain Bur- Burnham is making contact with them, but things don't go very well. Uh, she the meaning of her words is lost a little, and then. Grudge the cat causes problems by one being a canine and two being described as a queen who is also locked up. <laughs> um, this touchy subject leads to, before long, Book and Captain Burnham running from phaser fire. Burnham is soon in a small craft that Book summons, and um, she wonders why the aliens haven't hit them with their weapons. They're pretty close, it's not that hard, and she realises after a crash, um, that the butterfly aliens are struggling to navigate. The Discovery crew is hailed and begins to science at the problem, as they often do. The satellites compensate for a magnetic field. It's all out of whack. Burnham orders repair drones to the satellites and steadfastly refuses to fire on the aliens. Repaired satellites uh, do not bring about a ceasefire, though, and as Book points out, he's just made it easier for them to kill them. So, um... Only when Burnham and Book get back on Book's ship is there a tense standoff um, before Burnham departs, still giving them the dilithium. Burnham receives a hail from the Emperor of these aliens and promises assistance. No strings attacked. And then and then she orders a flight out. On to the next mission. Meanwhile on Keminar, there's an ongoing debate about the Federation. Saru is considered the great... U- Elder, he marvels at the way the two species on his home planet are now in communication with each other. Uh, Sarah asks the people of Keminar to consider the shared perspective of the universe. Yes, they have to look after their home, but their home is nourished by a sun, and it's not their sun. And beyond that, that star is part of a shared universe, a shared galaxy. Burnham and Book are discussing the fact that Starfleet Academy is to reopen after a long time. It's a big moment, but Burnham is not thrilled that the president of the Federation is using it um, as a political moment. They're cute together and then part ways. Book's got to do a coming-of-age thing with his nephew on his home planet. Burnham gives her opening speech. There is no need to hide. The Federation is growing. And then she introduces President Lyra Rillick of the Federation. The president acknowledges USS Discovery and her crew's role in re-establishing peaceful relations. 
and the supply of dilithium. She promises to reduce dependence on dilithium. She focuses on scientific exploration as the core mission of Starfleet. She shows the cadets of the newly constructed Archer space dock where the next generation of Starfleet vessels are to be constructed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Burnham meets with Tilly and they talk about how space-time and how it would be nice not to care about it. But Tilly was promoted to lieutenant, um, but before she can talk about her feelings on that, Burnham is called away. There is a distress call from a space station. Burnham is ordered to rescue one Commander Neelus, who doesn't really know what he's in. Um, the president wants to join in. She overrules Burnham's objection, and it, Burnham is irate at politics na- uh, existing, which, you know, is naive. <laughs> Captain Burnham orders the ship to depart, and they s- see the station flying through space. Time to remount a rescue. Planet side, Booker is home, enjoying his vague psychic mysticism with his nephew and his brother. It's a coming-of-age ritual. He explains how everyone here wears an amulet of sap, but uh, Book isn't wearing his. A story for another time. Book and his brother smile as the nephew runs away to play and show everyone, but then the birds freak the fuck out. <laughs> um, back on Discovery... They determine something must have hit the station, a a gravitational distortion of some kind. Before long, the station commander, Neelis, is uh, is in place, and we've begun a plan to repair thing. Adra is essential to this plan, and somewhat nervous about her first away mission, their first away mission, and blathers adorably. Adira and Tilly appear, and the commander is a little nervous to just let them get to work. It is his station after all. Also, this whole scene is beautifully shot as we go into a slow-mo montage of the thrusters being repaired. Soon, those thrusters are indeed fixed, but 45 minutes are needed for life support. Then, something impacts. A debris. A cloud. Discovery extends its shields around the station, but with more debris coming in, the station won't survive. This is now a rescue. Transporters, every other option is down. Adra's going to have to program the rescue ship to return. And uh, Tilly is going to have to handle the ever-panicking commander, especially when it turns out the debris has blocked the ship from departing the station. Burnham needs to remove that debris then, and the president questions her decision to leave the ship during a red alert. Burnham replies that she has the most advice hours in advanced TV. It makes no sense for no one else to do this. Back on Karamar, Saru is thinking of Discovery. He talks with Sukal, who tells him, you don't have to stay here for you. Uh, for me. Burnham takes the worker bee out of the debris. She has only two pieces left when there is an impact, and a very arty silence as Burnham is sent reeling into open space. Programmable matter creates a spacesuit around her, um, and Commander Neelis is still panicking. Tilly won't let him, though, take um, his crew out onto a deck where there's probably no life support. He pulls out a phaser and threatens her. The president, though, talks him down, relating. They're from the same home world. They've seen the same things. Burnham frees the debris, Neelis orders his crew into the escape path, and Burnham decides to talk with the president. Did you know about those details, or did it just come from reading the files? Did you lie to that man? She asks if it matters. The station crew is on board. There are five minutes before the escape ship can rescue Adra, Commander Neelis, and Tilly, but only four minutes worth of shield power left. President thinks it's reckless to attempt to save them. Back with Book, he can't find out what spooked the birds, so then he flies out of the atmosphere and sees a nearby planet exploding. Debris strikes the ship and he calls out for his brother. 
Adra, Tilly, and Commander Neelis are trying to stay calm. The shuttle arrives for them just as the station is destroyed. Discovery is a mess, though. Shields are down. Burnham orders a jump, but debris strikes the shuttle bay at the last moment. Um, when it is cleared, Commander Neelis has been killed. Burnham and the President talk. Three dead, four wounded. The President points out, nine get to go home, though. Burnham is examining the Kobayashi Maru, considering... Starfleet's impossible tests, the lessons that can be learned from it. The two discuss leadership. The president suggests it's about balancing, accepting losses. The president didn't come aboard Discovery just to tick some political box. She wanted to see whether Burnham was ready for captaincy of Voyager, which, much like its predecessor, is a testbed of new um, drives designed to get away from Dilithium. The president says, though, that Burnham isn't in the running. She's not ready. Burnham, she says, is a huge pendulum swing, a potential wrecking ball. The president further says to the ever-increasing irate captain that one day everyone might die if you try and save every last soul. Then Burnham gets a call. It's a booker. The planet, his home, is not where it should be. In fact, when they locate it, it's torn apart by the gravitational pull. Booker has lost everyone. And that's how the episode ends. Dun, dun, Thank you, Nathan. Dun-dun-dun, indeed. Uh, okay, I'm very <laughs> excited to talk about this. <laughs> well, I wanted to first uh, ask whether or not either of you have seen any more of season four yet. No. Or, no. Right, okay. no, absolutely not. I haven't. I haven't no, I, I deliberately on. saved it for the podcast. Like, I, oh, okay. I think I will probably now go and watch it, but I wanted like, sure. the first time we watch it to be me to I'm, be pretty fresh off it. I'm about halfway through it, so I'll try not to give any spoilers away as we go. Um, but uh, I, I, I'm excited to talk about this as well. So, um, Maddie, let's go to you first. What, what what do you want to say? I have really, really mixed feelings about this episode. I know, right? <laughs> I, it is such a bizarrely convoluted mixed bag of just, like, some bits that were brilliant and then some bits where I was just like... Not that it was bad, but I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Like it was it was so strange. I I there's there's, there's feel- so many things in here that that are, that are strange. You know that wrong. pendulum metaphor. That's what the episode yes, is yes, for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was swinging between being a pendulum and a wrecking ball. That is exactly how it was, and that is a perfect bit of dialogue for you to pull out, Nathan. Because one of the standout things in this episode for me that just didn't make any fucking sense was how they're <laughs> trying to set up this conflict between Michael and the president. Yeah, um, all right. We're but getting it's, in- it's so completely forced and arbitrary. Like, the yeah, moment they mention not- the president's name, they start playing ominous music in the background. I'm like, <laughs> bitch, she's not even walked in the door yet and you're already playing the evil trombone? There's, like, <laughs> There's some stuff that I really, like... So the president conflict is the main thing that I have really strong, really, like... I'm not sure you got this right in the first episode, and if you continue down this line, I think you're going to continue to get it wrong. Oh, one hundred. Don't say anything, Jake. But like, <laughs> okay, 100%. Uh, like, so there's there, there's several things I really because I think she's actually a pretty good character, right? Like, yeah, she yeah. is a she she is acted well, and I actually think written well. It's just the I've seen this Burnham doesn't like so. Here's, here's the thing that I wrote down that I think really summarises it. 
me and Discovery need to have a chat about <laughs> how if you keep putting your lady of color protagonist as bullshing against authority like this every time and keep giving the people she's up against some kind of good point, you're going to undermine Burnham and or sort of martyr her in a really artificial week. Like, she's not going to grow. She's going to get constrained by having that plot. Because that feels like it's been her plot for four seasons now. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I think is... I don't like the general vibe of the president being implied to be a reasonably reasonable and diplomatically elected. I did. I really didn't like the line where Burnham is like, "She's political box ticking. Why is she here?" And I'm like, "No, you, the military, do not get to like be unhappy about the presence <laughs> of democracy restraining you. That's not. That's not a vibe I want. I want the Star Trek going down. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not political." says the fleet with loads of photon cannons like leveled around your planet we're totally apolitical not about politics it's it's like Vladimir Putin saying that he's not political (laughs) yeah I mean by at the point you're like just after the Starfleet Academy kind of address bit Mm -hmm. there's a very like dark reading of this where it's implied that if you let the military handle your state's functions, like diplomacy and things, they'll get everything right, because we've just seen Burnham, like, restore this thing, which the president has acknowledged she couldn't do without the military. And also, Burnham has said the president gets in the way of everything. So there is an (laughs) implication that the democratically elected president is incompetent at doing the things that she wants to do. And, like, just... Imagine that, a democratically elected president who's incompetent. (laughs) Um, So this is a problem that Discovery has, right, where their politics are kind of explicitly left wing in a lot of ways and or or maybe let's say liberal. They've got this kind of like liberal American style, internationalist style politics where as part of that, it's probably quite awkward and uncomfortable. And you just I just straight up forget a lot of the time to remember that Starfleet literally is the military. They're not this, like, passive, happy-clappy diplomacy wing of the Federation. They are the Federation's navy. They are they are the military. And to, to, to say that in so many words kind of does, I think, potentially jar a little bit with, with what the vibe of the show wants to be. Because yeah. they do want to and portray think... them as this, like, sort of peaceful, outgoing, like, um, kind of organisation. So... They've then shot themselves in the foot by doing exactly what you've said, Nathan, by by trying to pretend like Starfleet isn't the military. They're then walking into this slightly pseudo-fascist like, yeah, analogy. The way, you, the way you square that circle, I think, is you, you talk about the way Starfleet is a... You look at this kind of Star Trek evolution kind of perspective. You know how, like... You know, I mean, Next Generation was terrible for talking about it a bit too much and saying more than they could fairly present on screen. But this idea of a evolved sense of being a more enlightened thing in mm. the same way that, like, you know, to take an example that's a bit more conceivable in the real world. Like, let's take, like, you know, 
the Nordic sort of enlightened approach to a prison program. A prison does not have to be a... It can be a rehabilitation. It does not have to be sure. a centre for punishment and crime breeding. Yeah. Yeah. Starfleet can be a military without being what we think of as a soldiers, an army, and a navy. And, yeah. and they can do these diplomatic functions. They can yeah. do these it could, it could scientific be, things. It could be an army in the same way that the Salvation Army is an army. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, really homophobic and <laughs> Yeah. I meant I meant that as a joke, but then you all agreed with it and I was like, Oh wait, yeah, okay, fine. I'm gonna <laughs> pretend I made a really good point. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, no, and then like let's compare Why is there no like, salvation let's... navy? <laughs> I was gonna say let's compare them to because like there's the no BTS one to prosthetize to at this at sea, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> Just a load what of are they gonna do? Playing, Stop a play. cargo ship, give them give them a bun, and then ask them to consider Jesus as they deliver something to China. <laughs> Just ima- imagine that while you were you're on a like on a ferry from Dover to Calais on your holidays, and then you go past this weird barge, and there's just a load of people playing brass band music. Or imagine <laughs> you're going through the Suez Canal, the- <laughs> the Canal, and someone saying like, "Have you considered the words of your Lord Jesus?" And you're like, "Sorry, I'm late on my way to deliver all of these rubber anuses to Britain for people to shag." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, we've got off topic. You don't, um, you don't, I mean, even that's better than the, um, the than the Salvation Air Force. Let, let's though, co- let's <laughs> compare them then to like the BTS Army, right? They're this like decentralized, slightly chaotic. So, sorry, force the BTS Army, as in the people who are fans of K-pop band BTS. Yeah, they're an army. They're called the Army. <laughs> <laughs> let's compare them to Starfleet. It's better than the Salvation Army. But they're quite the the BTS Army, as far as I'm aware are quite like violent like in their defense <laughs> in their defense of BTS. creating memes they're vi- they're very violent on twitter and if anyone criticizes BTS you get like put, uh, essentially you get twitter hanged <laughs> by yeah, the BTS army i was just thinking that they're like a force for like chaotic good and chaotic evil so yes yeah and i don't think Starfleet... like cumber bitches I, I, yeah. I think they're dead now, to be honest. <laughs> um, we are so off topic. What yeah, we are we're talking so about? This is entirely my fault. I started talking about the we, Salvation Army. Yes, we were Army. talking about the way that this episode is setting up some weird conflict between the military and the democratically elected president and how they're randomly portraying the democratically elected president as a villain when she's like literally done almost nothing <laughs> even remotely annoying. She's been vaguely Karenish. That's all she's done. Well, but yeah, apparently and, that's and also enough to, to write her, her off and make her the season uh, villain. She's not. Yeah. She's also not been that Karenish. I think what's happened is she's a Cardassian, and we've gone Cardassians are baddies. So where is that? What she's supposed to be? She's, she's meant not... to be a a human Bajoran Cardassian, uh, oh. like um, mix. You can right. tell when you look at her; she's got the the little yeah. No, I I I, I thought they, but that. I thought that was like a um oh yeah. I thought that was like a homage, like she was an original kind of. No, her her mum was human, and uh, although never saw Earth, she was a um she was a space boomer. A space um, boomer. And her dad was a uh, a Bajoran Cardassian uh like mixed race person 
cool. Mm. That's awesome. Cool. Anyway, so, but- so yeah, on that, she's quite cool. She's also done basically nothing wrong apart from... But for some reason, Michael just irrationally hates her from the word go. And <laughs> they're, they're both clearly extremely competent, powerful women who are both very good at their jobs. And some producer or writer somewhere has gone, let's set up this conflict and that's going to be the arc, is going to be the struggle between them. I'm like, based on what? Based on nothing. It was all tell, don't show. Or since this is a visual format, show, don't tell. I don't know. Well, like, Do you know what I mean? You know that, yeah, that yeah, yeah. concept and of writing like, where they're like, to show that this character is evil, we're going to repeatedly call them evil over and over again. <laughs> and we're I'm going to play the scary music. But all of the things they actually do on screen are like totally fine. Am I? Yeah. Am I wrong for thinking the president was right? Like, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is they, like, this is, this is a thing that I had to resolve with my, like, after I finished the episode, I was just like, I mean, after I finished, I was so excited to talk to you. But part of that was because I wanted to know if this was just me thinking, yeah, I kind of think like, and like, both of you have good points. Like, I'm not saying this isn't a conclusive, like, 30 love president win kind of match. But it is very, like, on balance. I think the president's more in, like, because everything Burnham says, because it's show, don't tell, and you're right, um, Maddie, is... Like she's like, oh, she's just ticking a box, and it's like, and then at the end she's she's like, you weren't on my ship to just tick a box, and I was like, no, that was entirely your point. <laughs> oh, she's no just doing, point. she's just doing this for politics. All right, you've told us that we've not seen anything to evidence that also, that's true. Also, oh, like, Michael, you're like this because of your childhood. Okay, what a really weird way to talk to someone. Like no one does that to someone they've just fucking met. Like, yeah. hello. I don't think I'd do that to people like you. Quite <laughs> yeah, like, it, but just, like the other thing is, so much. Another more... thing I I don't like in general is whenever someone accuses a politician of doing something for politics. Right, like, okay. it's your job. This is yeah. hilarious. Right, this is completely <laughs> hilarious. I don't understand how Michael. Michael Burnham, who is herself the object of vitriol from, like, angry white men on Reddit, has somehow turned herself in this episode into an angry white man on Reddit being like, why have they brought politics into my Star Trek? Back when I was yeah. Star Trek, back when I was in Starfleet in my day, it wasn't about politics. We just went around shooting everyone. Have they turned yeah. Michael Burnham so- into a boomer? Is she... Oh is she called Michael Boomer now? And... <laughs> but like it just reinforces a thing that I really don't want to be true because I really don't want to be because I, I like what Michael Burnham represents from a sort of representation point of view but like at the end of season in our season 3 episode I can remember saying I sort of don't feel like Burnham deserves the captain's chair and in this episode she does a lot of badass captaining that I'm mm-hmm. like I fucking love mm. like her, mm. her rescue mission her diplomacy Fantastic. I'm like yeah. This is pretty cool. I mean, I think her, like, we will give you whatever you want, no strings attached. I'm like, no, that's a bit naive. Um, Like, you know, if they ask you to nuke someone else from orbit, there might be some strings attached to that that assistance. But, um, like, her her inability to, like, you know, she chimes with the admiral that she's now chummy with. She and this is this is I can see no good conclusion to her argument with the president because I'm not gonna like it if the president turns out to be evil, bad, and wrong. Yeah. And if the president turns out to be a good, like wholehearted, like nice person that Burnham just clashes with, it's gonna piss me off when season five comes around. It opens with her being like, 
I'm glad that you got your family back, Madam President. Here is authority finger number 64. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> it just makes me feel like, Burnham, you are... You, you, everyone that keeps saying this to you is correct. You are not ready to captain that ship because you... Yes, you have... You know how everyone works. You know... You would be an excellent first or second officer, but you're not ready to captain this ship because you keep... Because part of being a captain is taking orders from your superiors. Yeah. <laughs> you're still not, like, entitled to do everything and anything yeah, so you like. I, I think, you know. I think, I mean, to be fair, I, I think Burnham is a very kind of Kirk on his five-year mission as captain, where she's, like, she's very clearly beholden mm. to no one. It's Michael's way or the highway. And I actually like that as part of her character that's that's kind of who she is she's very steadfast she's very she sees things really in black and white and when she's like no this is the morally right way to do it like neither god nor the devil is going to you know take her off that road if you know what i mean but for her to then for them to like set up this president woman as as an antagonist just felt so forced when i thought there's so much more common ground that these women have it would have made it would have felt so much more natural to me even if it had been the course of an episode that their antagonism developed but it was the fact that literally from the word go before the president had even walked on the screen we'd already seen michael complain about how she doesn't mm. like her and you know oh she's such a bad person because she's a politician and she's using this yeah this speech to show off the michael shitty archer doc that no one wants also, to see wait hang on i've just thought of something her dad's a politician. Sarek's yeah. a politician. Sarek is literally like, Michael, what do you think you're doing? When you are going around to planets and giving them dilithium, what do you think that is? That is called diplomacy. Diplomacy is politics, Michael. It's politics, Michael. Michael, do you, do you, would you like to Google the word politics <laughs> on your Starfleet Google, Michael, and see what it comes... Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's like the writers have forced these two characters to have a conflict. And I'm like, they would be friends. Or they would be, like, professionally working colleagues who are like, yeah, she robs me up the wrong, wrong way because we've got really different personalities and she kind of looks down her nose at me and I think she's a bit of a carrot. <laughs> but, like, they wouldn't be acting, like, too, at the risk of sounding like a misogynist, irrational... <laughs> irrational women who were just well, fighting I, and insulting uh, each other in, and and setting up massive hostility with each other at the start at like a really delicate time where they're gonna need all the allies they can get to stop the federation from falling apart it's being held together by like you know blue tack and saru's good luck <laughs> and now they're just they're just deciding to imagine, make enemies of each other like, uh, can you imagine another bridge where Arguments like that would happen. Like, I cannot imagine a leader I would... Re like, because both Burnham and the President do this. Both are tamed, uh, tainted with this. Can you imagine respecting either manager or leader who openly criticised the other person in charge of you while they're in mid-making a decision? Right? Like... Burnham gets badmouthed by the president when she makes several decisions. Yeah. Burnham badmouths the president to her crew. And it's just going to foster bad blood and factions. It's so unprofessional. In, in, in reality, when I, that's when what I work, happen. It's pissed when me I... off because they're actually... Sorry, Jake. I'm almost finished on my rant. They are making Michael's character 
look bad because what she did that you just described Nathan is so fucking unprofessional it is so fucking unprofessional and that I do not believe and I do not want to believe that that Michael even extremely hot-headed like stubborn self-righteous Michael you know with her extremely long and illustrious Starfleet career behind her would act like that especially when she's come 930 years in the future and like yes she saved the universe but she's not got so much hubris that she can't admit that she is kind of new here and she still doesn't know all of the ropes i mean it it, it's so unprofessional that it actually it does her character a disservice and and i just i just hate that i'm like stop making your own characters look bad stop making her look immature that's just just feels like you're almost playing into the hands of people like it 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 hurts me when like nathan you're saying you don't think she's ready for the captain's chair that fucking guts me because i'm like it's oh, almost like we're playing into the hands of all the yeah, people who yeah, don't want her exactly there because she's I a feel. black like, woman. I feel like as someone on this podcast who has something of an audience who reviews and criticizes Star Trek, I hate that I feel that way about her character because I want her to succeed. But I'm going to say something potentially sacrilegious now. I think Michael Burnham may be the weakest character in, in Discovery. <gasps> Certainly of the main cast. Nathan! Because I just... I don't agree I didn't, that. like... Season 2 focused on her a lot, and I really hated <laughs> Season 2. Like, uh, 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 of all Discovery, that is the weakest. And season, season 3 moved a lot away from her, and I liked it a lot more. And this episode focuses a lot on her, and I don't think I dislike the episode, but all of her bits in it are, like, generally irritating to me. And I think I think that might just be because the writers are playing this stupid idiot game. I, who's in the writers' room of the, like? It was Michelle this, Paradis this... who I think was the main writer for yeah, this was, episode. Yeah. I yeah. believe because I don't know. It, there's something off about her. I think somewhere they've lost their way because she feels. This is how I'm going to sum it up. She feels a different character mm. in each season, but not in a yes. way that is natural. It's not like I can draw a line from season well, one so Burnham I, to season four Burnham. I think a good I can point draw a... is that um, as the seasons have gone on, I keep forgetting that she's part Vulcan uh, because she yeah. has no Vulcan personality or traits or anything like that, apart from occasionally mentioning logic. Like in this episode where she... Where she goes off on the to pilot the the worker bee, um, and the president's like, should you do that? Should you? Do-? And she's yeah, exactly. And you're like, driven. exactly. And she, you know, she has this love affair with book, and and previous to that, she's had this love affair with uh, with Clem Fantango. <laughs> um, but the yeah, I, like, I remember in the first two series thinking that her Vulcanness was much more of a thing. Um, and in, in, informed mm. her character a lot more, whereas now I... she felt cold and calculated. Yeah, which is what you want from it a Vulcan. Was, I mean, it was used to great effect in season one because um, obviously Captain Lorca being the kind of mm-hmm. evil version yeah. of that almost because he was very brutal. Like, I have to win this war. This is how I do it. Their agreement and gelling together and pragmatism. In fact, that's something that's made me dislike the whole. 
politicians are awful kind of thing before. It's like, you'd thought she'd notice what happens when you let military mavericks just <laughs> off the leash do whatever they like, because she served under that captain. Um, so, like, it was used to good effect there, but they haven't... Yeah, I don't know. I, but I disagree. All of this... I disagree. I, I think Michael has a really clear character arc. Um, I think that she always came across as someone who has these extremely strong, passionate and emotional impulses that were kind of like just tightly veiled beneath this sort of Vulcan trained exterior. And I think we saw that right from the very first episode of Discovery where she she's so self-righteously stubborn and pig-headed about her, you know, course of action that she accidentally precipitates the fucking <laughs> war, right? So I, I think that over, yeah, as the series like, has gone on, she has more naturally lost her exterior sort of like learned Vulcan behaviors and the kind. So she of, hasn't learned from starting a war by sticking on, to on, one listen. course of action. The, and the more passionate kind of side of her has come out, and this might be because I'm biased because I really like the way that Sinequa Martin Green acts her, but I completely agree with you that then the writers keep doing these things to her, where then her responses kind of don't seem mm. to make sense com- like in in line with what she's already she gets a learned. reset she she seems to spend each season learning the same lesson she yeah. learned the last season so yeah. like i bet i bet by the end of season 4 she looks a lot more like she did at the end of season 3 <laughs> and we like her a lot more but yeah. um yeah I, and and i agree with you i hate that cuz sonia martin green is great um she the the character is great what she represents is great her hair is amazing. Yeah, her hair in every. But also, I don't know anything about wigs. I've heard, I've seen some black women on the internet say that her wig is fucking atrocious. Well, let it be known that to a clueless white person, <laughs> the test. <laughs> it looks great to me because yeah. I don't know but, any fucking but, better. But this this weakness of not, I don't think there's a surety. I don't think, I think there's a possibly because they got burned and have had to kind of changed the show up so much to go, I think, from what I think now was a good but not a fantastic season one to a mm, pretty meh season... Like, this is just my opinion, but a pretty meh season two to an amazing season three. I think they've now got this sort of scaredness to do anything with her. It's like, oh, she anchors the mm. show so much that we we don't we we want to be careful like while everyone else is growing changing evolving and adapting in interesting ways it's you know i, I, I don't i don't i don't so want I to spoil i think she um sorry i think the issue that they've got here <coughs> is that okay we what they've done is they've set up a very similar antagonist versus natural disaster versus potential like villain that we've not met yet scenario already in the first episode with the gravity wells and um and the federation president being an obvious shoe-in for like season three's admiral vance um admiral sexy silver fox season and season two yeah. With the with the computer and the, I, I think it's similar to c- yeah yeah okay and, and, and I think it's still the same and and th- so they've gone for the exact same like antagonist versus unknowable natural villain formula that always puts Michael in forces her onto the same rung that you were like talking about earlier where she's like yeah. chafing with a figure of authority I'm like 
Why would you not introduce a Federation president as like a friend or like a colleague with a complex working relationship? Why why could that not be a thing? If as this as I assume is going to happen, the course oh. of this season is that she and the president have like really differing attitudes of of how to deal with the gravity well. Why does it have to be started with antagonism? Why can't it be just played out as like professional colleagues who have very differing opinions. I just don't understand why it was all so immature. <coughs> like, I, I just don't yeah. get it. Can I can I get in my director's yes. writer's chair again? Because <laughs> I like doing this. I think w- the way I would have done it to show that they are different people nonetheless on the same side, because that's a pretty good message, and to show the two have sort of doubts. The way I would do it I don't know how you'd get Burnham, because Burnham doesn't seem exactly the type to get into this, so there would need to be some better character writing around this, but that scene with Book and Burnham, where they're talking about what they're about to go do, I would have Book say, oh, you're not excited, I thought you'd be excited, and Burnham say, I'm nervous, this is the first time I, I have to introduce someone who I've never met, and whose achievements are substantial, list a few of the things the president's done in the intervening time and then have kind of the president feel the same way about Burnham. Like they've never actually met. They're just, and they're not sure how to weigh each other up or, and they both want to solve the crisis of the episode. So the president comes with Burnham, but they're, they're sort of both used to being in command. They both have complementary skills, but they end up, tripping over each other yes. because the president is like well I'm in command and and Burnham is like well it's my ship I'm in command but also the two of them know the other's authority so they're kind of like not exactly deferring to each other but there's a it, the, the presence of them introduces a self-doubt which then gets kind of resolved by the end of the episode <coughs> but there is still something that they fundamentally disagree on some call that was made by yeah. one or both of them like admiral like, shelby in the best of mm. both worlds yeah he would have worked so well as that kind of figure like the two of them yeah. clashing and and just yeah i i completely agree nathan i just don't understand why they didn't go that route and i think it's mm. sometimes i do think discovery like much as i love it i think they sometimes do try to hit a nail with a, <laughs> axe as opposed to with a hammer. Yeah. And, and I feel like they were like, they were like, audience, understand conflict. Understand that this is conflict. Yeah. Understand that she is the antagonist. I'm like, we're not thick. We're not thick. We could get that. We could get that if she was so, introduced in the way that Nathan did it. And and you've, they've done a disservice to both characters by making them look really irrational I, and emotional and unprofessional. Uh, and just downright fucking rude to each other. I think Jake's going to explain. Sorry, sorry. Make we his have points. completely just <laughs> No, it's on. fine. I um, it's it's interesting hearing your opinions, having not seen the rest of the show, and I'm I, I don't want to spoil um any further episodes or anything like that. The um the um I think it'll be interesting when you watch more of it to hear your opinions uh, on the relationship between the two characters mm. again. Um, because the, the character, the, the the president doesn't really do anything else. So the <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> what? Oh, for fuck's sake! What? Okay, let's. But, but that I, makes but, me more annoyed. But I do. <laughs> have, I, but but I have to say that I've I'm I'm only halfway through the season, and we you know 
Can we watch? Can we watch episode two? Yeah, next sure. Week? Yes, please. Talking I want to know. Ep- what episode three happened. is the best episode so far yeah, of, of of the thing. But so. Okay, well let's yeah. let's watch two and three then. And let's well, talk like, about let's nice watch things. episode but two the... and then episode three. Let's talk about nice things that we liked in this episode. Oh, because well. I also this is what I mean about the pendulum. Literally everything else yeah. in the episode, well, I fucking like, love. Yeah. <laughs> 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 We've not even gone to the rest. I know. Of the I, I, well, I, <laughs> I think we might go. <laughs> I just wanted to say that, like the um, I I I think. Um, it's interesting as a first episode having watched later episodes in the series because um, it does set up the big. You're, you're right, and I don't think it's a. Um, I don't think it's a, a spoiler to say that the the main sort of thing in this series is this gravitational anomaly that's destroying Quajon at the end of this episode. Yeah, right. Like that's that's what this episode is setting up, mm. right? Um, pardon me. Um, which they go, they call it the DMA. They go on to call it. It's the dark matter anomaly. Um, and mm-hmm. but then later in the series, some more exciting things happen around that, which creates, which I think are more interesting. But um, but the and I've got theories, which we'll get into when we talk about later episodes. But um, but the I, I think, and, and this is something that when we went to Destination Star Trek, that the that when we went to the discovery panel that they all mentioned on that, um, that this series um, shows the bridge crew being much more involved and having much more of a, um, mm-hmm. it shows them. Yeah. And it oh, shows and them much more that. like, like a crew in the way that middle age Trek did where you felt like the characters were sort of all main characters, even like, you know, the helmsman and the uh, head of security and whatever they were—they were all main characters in those middle-aged Trek shows, and even in TOS. Whereas I think in Discovery so far that hasn't been the case, um, and I wonder if part of the reason no. why they are kind of uh, less able to focus on Burnham being and Burnham's character development being a particular part of the of this episode is because they're trying to set up this thing where the the bridge crew have got more screen time and more stuff to do but then don't bother having this big don't have the president there just let 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 there be or when when the president asks are you going Mm. to leave in a red alert like burnham rethinks the decision and and trusts (laughs) in her crew more and it be about burnham's Burnham's chronic hero syndrome being also having a not exactly that she doesn't trust her crew, but she she should she should rely on yeah. believing her crew in a more kind of deep in your soul way yeah. than the surface. Because right, like like what it feels, feels like is that the her hero complex, like you put it, um, is leading towards her having the captaincy taken off of her or something like that, right? Um, which we've already seen happen in the last series. So it feels like they're just repeating the same storyline again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, why would that be the conflict for Michael? Like, I've, like, what other Discovery show is there where, like, the captain's major ongoing conflict is that they might be decaptained? Like, that would, it would just be, it would just feel so fucking infuriating and 
and just almost like sexist almost if that was what yeah. Michael the, is the, supposed to the, constantly the chair battle of against. The, dis- the, the captain's chair of discovery is the most revolting <laughs> in the Star Trek universe though, isn't it? Like we're all acting like Michael Burnham's a natural captain, but we had Saru for the entire of last season, Pike before that, and Lorica before no yeah. one can command that fucking shit. I, yeah, I'm it, not saying that I think she's I mean, like the world's best captain. I think she's got the guts to be a captain. I think she's 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 and I, I, you said that you agree with the the Federation president. So do I. Not in the way that she said it, which was incredibly fucking mm. rude. Oh, she was. She yeah, was like, like, like I said, personally rude. rude and insulting for absolutely no reason other than to set her up as an antagonist. Yeah. For just for, yeah. just because, Bec- but for show don't tell reasons, um, or tell don't show reasons, whatever it is. Um, but but Michael is Michael. You are a new captain. Like, you are a new captain, so of course there are new things you're going to have to learn. Like, she is like, you know, Kirk when he's got his first commission and he's like a hot shot and he's being a bit of an asshole. Like, fine, like, like, like you're a new captain. Can she not just be allowed to naturally yeah. grow? Like, please, for God's like, sake, just let she it She seems to lack, I think she seems to lack Saru mm. in this episode. Like, that's the thing that I've thought of. And actually, that brings me on to something I really like about this episode. Um, up until up until um, the very end, I think um, this discovery in general, actually, this is a strength. And it's something that DS9 started, but then I think Star Trek kind of lost after DS9. And Discovery's picked it up, really made it its own thing now. Is the way that you can have a Starfleet-focused show about the Federation and Starfleet and still explore a lot mm-hmm. of other perspectives on things and a lot of other worlds and cultures. And it, while Star Trek, Starfleet can be the melting pot for all these cultures, it can ripple outwards and not everything is Starfleet and the Federation. You know, Deep Space Nine had that just baked into its setting because mm-hmm. it was a mixed command space where lots of different people came. But I think since then... You know, even when you get characters like Worf or Spock on their respective ships, or, you know, it it still feels like the most essential thing about those characters is that they're Starfleet officers, not their Klingon mm-hmm. or Vulcan. Or, you know, they're a Vulcan Starfleet officer, a Klingon Starfleet officer. And I really respect that they've resisted what I think would be the natural pull of making Book part of the crew in a... Mm-hmm. In an official sense, you know, he's 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 still he, he has no Starfleet commission. He just comes along and assists them. He's just an um, incredibly handsome <laughs> man who swaggers onto the bridge and makes all the panties <laughs> drop. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just mean my panties. <laughs> no, you no no no. no, no. <laughs> well, well, we, yeah. we know from experience, we, we know from experience like, that he fancies panties. So. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, he's so yeah. handsome that like even like I was like blushing almost as hard watching him on my fucking laptop screen as I was talking to him <laughs> in real life. That is how much sex appeal this man has. And, it's and, fucking and, like, ridiculous. As, as the, I will say... the token straight man on the podcast, um uh, even I I mean I'm mostly mm-hmm. straight. I he, even <laughs> I find him a bit kind of swoony. He's very attractive, isn't he? He's well, so swoony. I've got to say oh something God. else about his sexiness is that I've never, not that I've never got it, but I've never been overly bothered about meeting actors that I think mm-hmm. are really good and really cool, right? Like, um, I've always been like, I'll take the opportunity if it comes along, but I won't go out of my way to do it. And then I found watching this, watching 
these people that I've now met some of and, and very briefly interacted with at a convention. I'm like, Ooh, it's the- <laughs> well, <laughs> it's I like, you know, I like Blue Debari. So I've met them. Here, here's the um, thing: I, I think we might have the contender for the first male casting in hashtag Sexy Space Show. Yeah. Oh God! Ooh. Yeah. Oh, God. I think like, David Ajala is going to be in Hashtag like, Sexy Space Show. Yeah, he is. He is. He he could run Hashtag Sexy Space Show <laughs> all by himself. Um, I was. I'm going to make. I could make some like really seedy joke about watching him stroke a pussy. <laughs> there, so I'm um, I well, you, you'll enjoy um, the rest of this episode. Because, uh, the rest of this series because he gets a lot more interesting stuff to do. I think he was underused in the last series because they had to introduce him as a character and get him involved and stuff. But I, it, Yeah, you never you never yeah. get the best out of someone. Exactly. But he, he gets and you get a lot of interesting uh sort of backstory towards him. There's a really good episode about season, episode six or so, um where you find out some stuff about his his history and it, and it's really interesting and uh, and I think David Ajala does it really well. Um so that'll be that'll be exciting wait. to talk about. Um Cannot I want wait. to say that yeah. I no. uh think that Michael's decision to leave the ship and go on the rescue mission in the worker bee herself was the wrong decision and I don't think she should have done that. And I think mm. that is a bad Okay. I think I would have respected because I briefly thought they were gonna do it, I would have respected the shit out of if, if she if died. <laughs> Maybe in a way where, she, yeah, maybe in a way where she turns out fine later on because of the. It would have been really good, but like I would have respected. I would have respected. First the episode, like, kill off the main character. I, I, it's it was called Kobayashi Maru, and that's what made me think they were going to do it because like when they did that hit and it was really dramatic and you saw everyone's reaction, I was like, yeah, 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 shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I would have respected the dramatic impact of that as it was like. There was a bit of me that was like, and I know this is cynical and mean and it wouldn't feel like this in real life and it's only because I have the fourth wall in front of me. Like, you've called it Kobayashi Maru, you've talked about how this was an unwinnable scenario, and right at the end you do the big dramatic, like, you know, this home world is lost, but that wasn't, like, that wasn't a test or thing that you could have attempted to avert. That was just a thing that, that, ha- that was a natural... Yep. You know, like, Maru, the- as, as shit as our Prime Minister is, if an earthquake leveled central London, it's not actually his <laughs> yes, fault. Yes, it like- could be his fault. He partied too hard <laughs> and put too much cocaine in the water supply. Thus, the foundations yeah. crumbled. Anyway, yeah, you're absolutely right, Nathan. It, it, it was it was cowardly of them to call this episode Kobayashi Maru and then not actually have a well, Kobayashi well, so the, the con- Maru. And they try yeah. and make well, out no, because they did all win. Like, they, yeah. they lost some people. It was a win. They... It was a win. They lost, like, 70% of the people in a mission that was basically, like, a 1,000 to they, 1, they... like, chance of, of, of dying or something. Like... If a Kobayashi Maru is a no-win scenario, that was not... Nothing about that was a no-win scenario. If every single person on that ship had died, if they'd killed Tilly and Adira, which would have been a terrible thing to do, would have made everyone very angry, but would have been a narratively extremely brave and effective choice, then it would have been a lose-lose scenario. Then it would have been a Kobayashi Maru, and then it could have had, like, some impact and meaning about Michael being like, fuck, you know, you can't win every battle. But, like... She lit- the only person who died was Commander Nalus, 
who they'd already established as being like, again, like the president, weirdly and irrationally <laughs> incompetent for no reason and like an antagonist, again, for no reason. So why did we care if he died? Like, so yeah. it's just badly written episode, to be honest. But I don't think it's that... Well, there are some stuff I really liked in it and I'm going let, to... Let, let's talk about some of the positives because we, we keep coming back to this thing and that's fair enough because it is the core of the episode but there are some really cool shit going on i really liked adira's little nervous conflict adira is like, so I cute just, that was adorable like when they went costs. yeah when they when they were like um are you nervous about your you know they're talking to gray and it's like you're nervous about their first away mission and she's just like t- they're, they're talking out loud and um like and, and there's the brief cutaway where it's like Everyone seems used to the fact that Adira just talks yeah. to a person they can't see. I know, and they're isn't just that like hilarious? it's like, and, and, and they're talking about their anxieties around how they see the captain. And then you've just got Michael Burnham in the foreground and be like, she. Can't <laughs> <you."> um, <laughs> and then and then and then it's like I'm ready, rock and ready to stop talking now, captain. <laughs> just like, and I'm just like, oh honey, just beam yourself into the danger zone. It's safer so for sweet. you. Yeah, Adira is lovely. Adira is really sweet it's so nice to have that kind of mission she i guess like in a way they're almost similar in some ways now to what tilly was in series one in that they're the sort of cute naive nervous new recruit who's you know really really hyper intelligent but also very awkward and fuzzy around the edges well that that link between Really what lovely. Tilly used to be like and what Adira is like now is explored in one of the episodes in this series. Um, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I thought a little bit in here where the like Tilly's not nervous and Tilly is, mentors like, Adira in that crisis. Yeah. And and there's the little there's the uh, another thing I quite like that Discovery has now done almost by accident because it's not something I thought about until I saw those that little interaction between the captain and. Tilly is we've never really seen that personal connection between a captain and someone a lot further down the command chain. There's been plenty of like captains in general getting on with their crew and having mm. a very personal relationship with immediate in inferiors, you know, most often mm-hmm. the first officer and things. Um but very rarely has there been a friendship in a sort of very close best friendly way like Burnham and Tilly have and it's it's hard to think of anyone else being in the and way of is it. Is this so the episode where you where they have that little conversation uh in the in their quarters where it's um no, they had a conversation. No, I don't think so. You must be thinking of don't something else. Yeah, right. it's, it's not a spoiler, it's just a nice scene I was gonna say that explores that. They are cute. I love I love their friendship. I think they are adorable. I mean, in terms of things that were good, I know I I like complained, but it's because I hold Discovery mm. to really high standards. I like I know like I've just massively, massively complained, but I still enjoyed this episode infinitely more than I've enjoyed like most TNG, for example. So like I do mm. want to be clear that like my bar is <laughs> very high and I'm I'm not judging it fairly in comparison to other Star Trek series. But in terms in terms of things that are spot on, the visuals in this episode yeah. were absolutely phenomenal. Like they were absolutely phenomenal. I know like 
like I've mentioned Michael's hair, but everyone else's <laughs> hair was on fleek. Like everyone's hair looked fucking good. Like so good. And the uniforms were sharp. I'm so relieved they didn't go ahead with those yeah, awful the new uniforms, uniforms much better. that they had in the finale of season three. Yeah, they look so good in their new uniforms. And uh, like the, the chase scenes and the fight scenes were like exciting and dynamic and fun to watch. Yeah, the opening oh, sequence uh, with the the flying butterfly aliens reminded me of the opening yeah. sequence of um, Star Trek Into Darkness. Uh, and the opening sequence yeah, of Star Trek Beyond with like the fumble yeah. diplom- yes, the yeah. diplomacy and then the aliens yeah. angrily chasing <laughs> them down to kill them. It's like I mean, often Discovery and Abrams verse feel mm. very close for me yeah. in some, in that, in some yeah. ways. Probably just because they're the highest budget. Yeah, they've thrown a lot of money at them and they're like putting I a lot mean, more emphasis on action. I mean, so yeah, 100%. Voyager, Voyager J is a sexy ship. And like when they were like, let me present Archer's space dock, I was like, oh, <laughs> good stuff, lead designs. I, I like my ships, as you 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 well know. That was that was the moment for oh. me to just pause. Well, la- la- later on. You know what? <laughs> I've now realised there was a market for that shot. There was a market for the Archer space dock like 30 second shot with the stupid like faith of the heart theme <laughs> like playing on the strings because i was sat there thinking what the fuck is this doing in the middle of it get on with the plot i don't give a shit about your stupid ugly space dog and look maybe if they named it the sexy jerry ryan space dog then actually i would have been like oh yeah best space dog in the world but they named it archer space dog so i already hate it I don't care how good it is. I don't care how Archer. Archer also has a has a bit of. I've noticed a bit of a trend with Archer, because there's the line in um, the Abrams Star Trek reboot where uh, Scotty is like, "I transported Admiral Archer's prize beagle." Yeah, and I'm like, Archer is the thing that Star Trek shows reference when they want to like have credit with with like long-term fans but it's not a great strategy because any mm. long-term fan is like it's, it's basically going remember <laughs> that thing you hate <laughs> as we established last week enterprise is is best when indeed none of enterprise well, is in it nathan um, you'll be happy because later on in the series we get to see the uss janeway which is exciting as well um <gasps> Yeah, I do love my. But uh, oh. the, the, I, I, I agree that I'm, the um, the Archer space dock seems like they've. It, it seems like they've gone. Well, we're going so far away from what normal Star Trek that Star Trek fans like is with Discovery, and they're complaining so much. We're going to have to chuck some reference in to try and get them back on board. Mm. And you're right, Maddie, that when they show the Archer yeah. space dock, the the music that's played in the background is uh, a sample of. I think it's Archer's theme, the music that they play on in the original uh, episodes of, yeah. of Enterprise, and so like it's it is a nice little Easter egg, but at the same time, you're like, why have you why have you chucked that in here? Why? Like Just that why? seems absolute, and why? like, and they're what like a thousand years in the future. Why is Archer still a relevant? Yeah, exactly. Why does anyone give what? shit about Archer? Like, why have they not named it after one of the amazing Vulcan or Tellarite captains that I'm sure were there at the beginning of the Federation? Oh, and that was something else. It, it was stuff like that where I thought they really dragged out the establishing 
of the like, oh, this is a new series and we're mm. doing new things with the new federation. Mm. When I think that time could have been better spent on establishing this interpersonal conflict between the president and Michael if they actually wanted it to have the sort of impact that it later did. Because I would, I was a lot more entertained in the first ten minutes with their exciting little mission um, and their. F- terrible terrible interpersonal <laughs> communication like like really poor show from book and michael with the butterfly aliens then then the following 10 minutes where they're all just standing around and we're all supposed to be like oh yes wow the the magic oh starfleet academy wow yes wow i'm like no, no just send them on a mission that's what i'm watching but send them on a mission i don't care and when they're and when they're on i loved both in the like opening bit and throughout I loved the, like, because we've got the money to do this so much now, the, like, shifting between, shifting between crew members and talking out the salute, like, and and I loved the little bits, like, because you, they were not just professional, there was also, like, a genuine, like, working, like, um... Like Detmer and Awokerson, when when they first arrive at the space station, uh, amplify this as, like, uh, Detmer, can you um, uh, get me in range? He's like, if a Wilkerson can um, match speed and velocity. He's like, what do you mean, if? <laughs> it's like, obviously I could do that. Like, it's just so... Yes. So good. Those little moments um, are yeah. what made the episode really good. And, that, like, when it's flying around engineering and Adira and Paul are finishing each other's sentences and Paul looks like the world's <laughs> proudest dad, you know, like... And yeah, and Adria's yeah, yeah. like, I worked it out. Yeah. And, yeah and, <laughs> and also, later on, though, really, really beautiful little um, thing from Paul's... Um, uh, what's... what's Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp. Anthony Rapp does a beautiful bit right at the end after the debris impact in that he calls Culber ignoring everything else that's going yeah. on and says, is Adira okay? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm just like, it's just such a perfect, like, it, the it, well, I think his line is, what's going on? Is everyone okay? Yeah. And then he just goes, is Adira okay? Yeah. And it's such a, like, I just genuinely feel like Anthony Rapp added that bit yeah. and thought it through. Like, I don't know, but it just feels like such a choice the way he's doing it. It feels natural. Um, why were yeah. why was all the dialogue that we've just mentioned between all the supporting cast so natural and so full of chemistry and even between Michael and Book, I mean they've got so much chemistry. Why was that all spot on and then they couldn't write a good I think, dialogue I will, between I, the I think two. I've realised another sort of problem, which is maybe why I feel the way I do about Burnham, but maybe it's not a problem with her or her the the writing for her exactly is that now I think about it until Book, who they take away for most of this episode, like Book and Saru are the two characters that are the first ones Burnham has consistently interacted with. Mm. Do you think about it? Like you know, the Empress mm. gets taken away. Lorca obviously has to get taken away because he's a fucking villain. Pike gets taken away so that he can be in the right time and place. And then you have... He got taken away because he was too sexy to live. They just like... Yeah. But like, there's never been... Other than Tilly, and that can never really be what what I need here in that, like, it's got to be someone who's either a superior or stands, you know, very close in rank and position to 
Burnham for what I mean to work. There's never been a foil that's stuck around. Yeah. And stuck so that so that I can consistently see how Burnham and that other character are changing. And in this episode, the two people that might fit that role mm-hmm. spend their time on other planets, which probably only adds to the feeling of Burnham. Because as much as they want to build this, you know, crew relationship and stuff, Discovery spent a lot of time making up bit characters and supporting characters that they didn't, they underused for fucking ages and only gave, you know, small episodes to in season two started really acknowledging as people in season three and it seems like, you know, it's a goal of this season to make them more yeah, of which a they crew. do do and um, I think that does add something so, to the, the show. Yeah. So that might be why. But who knows? Who, we we yeah. know there's a problem well, and we're not exactly uh, sure what it is. That's the We just need to keep uh, watching. Like, like yeah. none of this is us being like, oh, that was bad. I don't like Discovery anymore. This is me No, like, I'm really excited we, to well, find yeah. out what happens. So in a, in a, how it plays out. So in a way, they've done their job well then, because that's what they want to do with an opening yeah. episode, isn't it? They, they want to get people like they've us. They've made me have yeah. strong have opinions. Yeah. Like it, Bland is always worse than bad. I will always maintain this. Bland yeah. is worse oh, than bad. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, because and, and and it wasn't even bad. It was just no, very it, I polarizing. Still like this which episode, is also good. This, this is why I feel so weird about this episode, and why I was so excited to talk about it is that I've never liked <laughs> the episode I hate more. Right? Does that make sense? Like the core of this episode, the heart of this episode, I don't like, and I've only got angrier about it talking to you guys. <laughs> but everything else is beautiful and wonderful. The artisticness of the shots, the the they have thought. I love when big budget Hollywood TV shows and films use that money and shot for thing, and they used it beautifully in several <laughs> ways here. I mean, standout moments. The the whole presentation of. Book's planet is a is a good one. In that I know it's sort of just a forest, but there's a yeah. feeling of mysticism about it. Mm. But then also using the anti gravity on the station to give a sense of disorientation of yeah. brokenness and wrongness because yeah. that's not something we've ever had the budget for really before. Yeah, without resorting to weird floating stuff. And then the shot when when Burnham gets hit and when when the they really made those impacts on Burnham and on the Discovery feel in a really visceral, important way. And I loved that. And I loved the interactions of the characters. I loved the presentation. In fact, I think um, one thing... uh, Did you guys see the thing about the augmented reality screens and and how they've redesigned all the sets for this season? No. Right, so, oh, this is fascinating. They've employed. They've. They've. They've basically rebuilt the bridge and several other space sets because they wanted to incorporate what's called augmented reality screens. So rather than a green screen for the space and for the visuals they're seeing, or like, because uh, the way the like next gen set would work is they would have no front to it because that's where the camera would be. Until they needed to do a kind of like Picard talking to someone shot, which would be a camera behind Patrick Stewart. They'd lower the screen in place and there'd be a green screen in front of it, which they would then project Mm. the separately recorded other actor on. What they've done with Discovery is put AR type 
stuff in, and I don't really understand how it works, but basically, now the actors see live and act to what is being recorded. So when Book is reacting to the planet, I don't know that they've perfectly got everything in, but um, David Ajayler is seeing that. When they have, Uh... and that extends to the holograms, when Burnham is talking to Laylas, they've got the tech to put an image of him in front of her. Wow! And then they've also redesigned all the pyrotechnics so that when (laughs) the bridge explodes and rocks, it's not them doing this anymore. There is a rock and an explosion and fire, which is like... So they've, they've redesigned the set around a practical level of effect so that the actors have a lot more to act off. Sick. Which is why I think their performance is so... Like, when Discovery is being torn apart, they look a lot more mm. nervous, it looks a lot more frantic, a lot more battle yeah. damage than it does before. And a lot of that is because, obviously, they've always had pyrotechnics on those bridge sets, but there's a realistic design. There's a, apparently a thing called the Ready Room, which I haven't had a chance to watch, which is right. all about how they redesigned it all. So if you want a proper explanation... Go watch that and you'll find out how wrong I was about explaining it all. But I very quickly read about it just before. It's it's That does sound cool fascinating. Um, look, we're, we're running out of time. Uh, we've already gone over a bit. Is, is there any other major things that you wanted to talk mm. about this episode? I think what we'll do is we'll watch a few weeks because yes. yes. I think, yes. I think yes. it'll be interesting yes. to, to yes. see how your opinions change as we go on. And also, I've, I've, I've paid for them now, so I'm, I might as well get my money's worth. Um Yes, I have paid for them too. I have paid real money. But is there anything else that you guys wanted to talk about before we move on to the big questions? Mm. Mm, No, I don't think so. I mean, I could talk about this and Discovery for ages, but I think in the the interest of time and our (laughs) listeners' sanity, I won't. I'll save myself. Yes, one final tiny comment, which is I thought it was adorable that Admiral Sexy Silver Fox has a hot wife and a cute daughter yeah. and that he got to bring them to see Starfleet yeah. Academy open and I just I just really like him. He is a <laughs> dill. Yeah, he, he is a dill. <laughs> he, he can go on the Sexy Space show as well. Um, okay, then yes! the important question's time then. So the first question is uh, who in this episode would we most likely to see wearing affairs? Now, I have a suggestion. Uh, and this is a character yeah. who hasn't been mentioned yet in this episode. Uh, my suggestion for the Fez character is uh, during one of the scenes when uh, Michael is walking around a uh, uh, in a, in a corridor, there's <gasps> the, uh, they walk past a Tribble who is running around on the floor, and I think if the Tribble was wearing a Fez. It's a, so it's cute. They're tribbles and stuff. Uh, my head cut it is that that yeah that tribble has, has yeah <laughs> tribble. Be like, hang on a minute. We only commissioned one one ensign tribble, and now there's five of them. I, oh I, no! I'd and now it. there's ten. Yeah, I think that's a great head. We haven't had a head cannon for a couple of weeks, so I think ensign tribble is an excellent head cannon. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I hope Ensign Tribble becomes a main member of the supporting <laughs> cast. Can you imagine the scenes on the bridge where they're like, go to Yellow Alert, like, Lieutenant Reese, I need those readings now. Like, Lieutenant Tribble, what have you got from me? And it just pans, and there's like a Tribble on the station going, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not fast enough, you need to do it faster. Every, so- 
<laughs> Dad, time, get us out of here! Every time there's an explosion on the on the bridge, the tribbles just starts like vibrating. <laughs> <laughs> the tribble goes flying. Like. Um, I've got another. I've got yeah, another go suggestion. I think the tribble is probably the best one. But I thought it'd be so hilarious if when they went to Kaminar with the scenes with Saru and their debate the the. What's Saru's species called again? Saru's species, the Kelpians, yes. The Kelpians and the Ba'ul are like debating and the Kelpians are like, oh, what if we do this? And then the Ba'ul talk like this because they're so scary. <laughs> then it like cuts down and you see all the Ba'ul floating in their tanks like Dementors <laughs> wearing a tiny little multicolored fez. <laughs> a Ba'ul with a fez would be excellent, actually. <laughs> We could get, we can have two fezzes in one episode. We can put a bowl in a fez and a triple in a fez. I want a fez per bowl representative to the Kaminarian yeah, council. I like the idea that the Kelpians were, have been scared of the bowl for so long that they part of the agreement in in the new <laughs> way of working between the two of them is that they have to wear a fez just to to <laughs> to make themselves yeah, exactly, look less to, threatening. To sort of humanise them somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's uh, The second important question is the um, Klim question. A Klim is a space Karen. So who in this episode is most likely to ask to speak to the manager? They want the Federation president to be Yeah, because they want Karen. that. Exactly. I'm, not, I'm not willing to let <laughs> yeah. it happen. Because <laughs> I liked her. I thought she was good, apart from being like a bitch for no reason at the end. Yeah, there's an anti-Karen in, um, in in this episode actually that occurs to me. The butterfly people do not want to speak to the manager. They that's reject true, fire yeah. upon the manager. Yeah, that's true. They be... <laughs> They're like the anti-Karen. They they would like unchain the proletariat from the shackles of the Karens. It's hard to pick a Karen-y person though. That it's not. Maybe you could say it was Bob <laughs> when he, when he and Michael when he and Michael are getting fired on, and he's like, "We should beam away now, Michael," and she's like, "Nope." And then he's like, "We're gonna die. Can we please leave, Michael?" Nope. He's like desperately <laughs> trying to speak to the manager, and the manager's like, "Nope, nope, 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 nope." Yeah, Bob gets stonewalled by the manager and he has a perfectly legitimate complaint in this yeah. scenario. He's the first and only valid Karen. <laughs> I like I like that he's like, um, he points out, like, before it happens, it's like, it would be, I, I, I respect Discovery for doing this as well, because I think other Star Trek shows probably would have it all get sorted the second the satellites are done, where it's like, so we're going to make it so it's easier for them to shoot at us, are we? <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, look, it's easier for them to shoot at us now. But they're still shooting I, at I us. I think um, any episode that has Grudge the Cat in it, uh, Grudge the Cat is the Karen, because, like, all cats are Karens. <laughs> yeah, I did love that bit where they're, they're, they're like, oh, she's a queen, don't worry. And then they're like, you, you're keeping a... Are you yeah. holding a hostage? I like the idea that... That was such as a weird. I I I didn't like that because it made them come yeah. across as stupid, and I'm like, you didn't make, need to make them come across as stupid. Like they have very legit reasons to think the Federation. Well, I, I didn't like the way that they call her a queen either, because like it just seems like a bit of a like, yeah, exactly. Ha, 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 and it's like, oh, you, it, it, <clears throat> what in in two thousand years or whenever it's a fifteen hundred years, however, there's. They're still using the slang that we use in 2022. Like, they're still 
monarchist. <laughs> in 2,000 years, have we not overthrown the monarchy and made it a galactic republic um, yet? I, to be fair, I would love it if our monarch was a cat, though. It would be much better. Yeah, I'd pay my taxes if our monarch was a cat. Um, I, <laughs> I, I just <laughs> for, for, for clarity, H- hello, and H- 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 I do pay my taxes. I obviously pay my taxes. Um, <laughs> I like paying my taxes. It's important. Um, anyway, the final... That, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, how does <laughs> Boris Johnson pay for his cheap online work events? Right, yep. the final um, question. The final question is uh, which character in this episode is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? I had something really lewd to say, but it's so lewd I don't even know if we can say it on our podcast. <laughs> have you heard this podcast? <laughs> well, We've say said it and so I'll many edit things. It out. <laughs> I was going to say that if. Suck <laughs> <laughs> I let go you've gone that way rather than just saying you would so uh, um, so what Maddie just said was appalling so uh, yeah, who, yeah who, what who, we'll have to do is bleep it out otherwise <laughs> oh yeah 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 no that's what I'm gonna do it just like <laughs> just a big long bleep well no it'll be it'll be I'll bleep each of each of the words Maddie said and then you say I thought you were gonna say bleep yeah <laughs> 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 I think, in I think, in a, as an actual answer, the character in this episode who's most likely to have tried to suck the road dick um, is probably that. Uh, what what's his name? The the guy who pulls a gun on. Uh, oh on yeah, team. he definitely. Like he he was in anti gravity spinning around for a little yeah, while. Yeah, maybe he that would help it chance. out. Yeah. He had forty five yeah, minutes. Yeah, you to wouldn't wait even need an erection. While Tilly and Adira <laughs> fix mean, the thrusters, you know what was he doing? If you just float around an anti-grav, you wouldn't even need an erection. Like you, if you, your cock would just sort of float up <laughs> towards you, if, it like, might help. That slow mo scene where it sort of transitioned between Discovery flying in tandem with the space station, and then Adira and Tilly trying to fix the thrusters. Imagine if one of those shots you just seen him floating past behind, sucking his own cock. <laughs> just in the background, you just see him floating Whee! past, going <laughs> like turning slowly over in midair. <laughs> I think he's definitely the person in this episode who has done it though out of all of them like and he seemed but also he seems very pent up and angry and like he's very willing to shoot people straight away and kill yeah, all of his yeah do you think if, the reason if he, he wants hasn't, to... he needs to, is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the reason he wants to get all of his st- uh, all of his crew to go to the uh, the the deck with no life support because he just wants some privacy because uh, he's never been able to get it. <laughs> That's why he wants yeah, it. Yeah, he was desperate for them to all go on the deck too so they die and then he could finally have some peace to suck his own cock. <laughs> Um, well I think that's everything for this episode then. this was a really fun one uh, it's a bit longer than normal but that's fine because we're talking about exciting things um, so we'll be back next week and we're going to look at se- episode 2 of season 4 I think of uh, Discovery which will be exciting um, 
Uh, as ever, you can uh, get in touch with the podcast uh, on social media at Red Shirts Cast on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, go and buy my comedy album like we advertised last week. You, you, you've got a, a clip of it last week. We're not going to give you any more because uh, I want you to go and pay for it. But other than that, all that's left to say is uh, live long and prosper and goodbye. 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 Bye. Lovely stuff.